Hi, everybody. Welcome to Fully Puffed, a Gilmore Girls podcast. My name is Grace, and I'm here with my co-host, Catherine. Hi. And we are here to talk about episode 16, Star-Crossed Lovers and Other Strangers. Yay! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) It's an episode we both really like and have a lot of opinions about. So this should be a pretty juicy episode of the pod. Yes. So we're going to start off, as we always do, with an episode summary. So if you've seen the show before, and if you just watched this episode, feel free to skip through it. But if you haven't, it might be helpful for just clarifying what's going on. So this one doesn't have a terribly complicated plot. Stars Hollow is having its annual Firelight Festival to celebrate the town's founding. And it also turns out to be Rory and Dean's three-month anniversary. In a surprise move, Emily agrees to let Rory out of Friday night dinner so they can celebrate. Lorelai, on the other hand, is pretty sick of the lovey-dovey mood of the town and reveals that she misses Max Medina, who she hasn't spoken to in quite a while. While she and Luke have a brief moment of bonding at the diner over how much they hate all this Firelight Festival stuff, it's quickly interrupted by the arrival of Rachel, Luke's ex-girlfriend, who you might remember was introduced in name only in the Bengals episode. It turns out that Rachel has just finished up an assignment in the Middle East and decided to come see Luke. And Lorelai, who's kind of embarrassed by how cool Rachel seems and how important her job is, quickly excuses herself. After Lorelai helps Rory get ready for her three-month anniversary date, She then heads off to Friday night dinner, where she learns that the reason Emily was so willing to let Rory out of their plans was that she wanted to set Lorelai up with her friend's son, Chase, who is essentially the most boring guy in the world. (laughs) Richard also thinks Chase is really, really boring, and when Lorelai tries to climb out of the window of her childhood bedroom to escape, Richard finds her and covers for her, which essentially means that they make up from their fight last week. Meanwhile, Rory and Dean are on a date at a fancy Italian restaurant and then stop by the Firelight Festival. Dean then takes Rory to a junkyard and reveals that he's building her a car and she's super excited. Everything is going perfectly until Dean tells Rory he loves her and Rory can't answer him or say I love you back. She tells him she just needs time to think since saying I love you is a big deal to her, but Dean freaks out and tells her he's taking her home. We then cut back to the Firelight Festival, where Luke and Rachel discuss what's going on between the two of them. When Rachel says that Luke doesn't seem at all happy to see her, Luke points out that Rachel has a habit of showing up and leaving without saying goodbye. Rachel says yes, this is true, and that she doesn't exactly know why she's there, but that she missed him and asks him what's going on between him and Lorelai. Luke says he isn't sure, that sometimes it seems like there could be something going on between them, but right now he's just happy to see her. When Rachel gets up to take pictures of the festival, Lorelai, who's back from escaping the dinner, sits (laughs) down with him and asks what's up with him and Rachel. Luke says he's just going to jump in and give it a try, and Lorelai says she's happy for him. When Lorelai gets home, she calls Max, but gets his voicemail. When she looks up, she sees Rory standing in the hall, who then reveals that she and Dean broke up. The episode ends with Lorelai going over and hugging Rory. Before we get into like the director stuff, what yeah. what what do you think? Do you like this episode? Is this a, a favorite? It's a frequent rewatch for me. I really like this episode. I think this run of episodes, the one before it, Christopher Returns, this one, and then the one after it are really, really strong. Probably the strongest yeah. episode of the season for me. 
How about for you? Yeah, same, same. I was thinking just even from the cold open alone, I was like, I'm giving this a 10 out of 10. I know it. <laughs> Not to spoiler alert my feelings on it, but I was debating whether I was rated higher than last week's episode. And we will see. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Maybe I uh, maybe I will reconsider. Oh, my... <laughs> Stop it. Immediate. No, it's so it's such a good episode. I think if I took this this current episode and then the one after it and rated them together, it's a ten. I think separately uh-huh. for me, they might both be nines. But we'll see. Yeah. Do oh, not so change good. your rating, Catherine. Don't change your rating because of me. <laughs> we have separate rating systems, and we don't just rate them. We don't just give them one rating for the both of us. It's fine. I just keep thinking, like, if any prospective students of mine, future students ever, like, listen to this podcast, they should be very confident to know that, like, the way that I grade is big. How excited am I? (laughs) How much did I love this? On a scale from one to ten, did I love it or did I really love it? I'm like, (laughs) I told you my mom and my Fun of me because they're like you give every every episode you're like this is my favorite episode ever I'm like well that's why I like the show <laughs> I'm that's not why t- we have a podcast yeah we clearly really like the show because we do a podcast about it I'm not doing a podcast about a show I'm like ambivalent about I would do a podcast about something I didn't like but I would not do something I would not do <laughs> like take my time doing a pod about something I'm just like eh, it's okay yeah, also wait till we get to season uh what seven? <laughs> seven and I don't like a lot about season five. So I was just rewatching it the other day and I was like, Oh, I hate this season. Season four and season six are so yeah. good. Season five. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll talk. So <laughs> writer production notes. What do you have for us this week? Okay, so I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but if any of you guys listening are following us on Instagram, you may have seen my like manic posting about David Lynch, Gilmore Girls crossovers, which was inspired by, I watched this documentary that's on HBO called David Lynch, The Art Life, which I would strongly recommend if you're a fan of his work. And I liked it so much, I actually watched it twice. And the first time... This scene like flew by and I was like, that's from Gilmore Girls. But I was like in it. I was in the moment. So I didn't want to pause it or like rewind. But then Alfred, my husband and I ended up watching it again. And I was like, that's it. That's Chilton. That's totally Chilton. And actually the scene is the establishing shot of the only scene we have at Chilton in this very episode. So, you know, there's a crossover there. But also, so, so the reason that this was in the documentary was because it's a mansion. Um, oh man, I got the name of the mansion. Hold on. Yeah, the article you sent me was like the the mansion that's like the most famous mansion you never knew the name of or something like that. It's apparently in like a lot of movies. So this is the Greystone Mansion, and it's where Eraserhead, David Lynch's first film, filmed. It was the headquarters of the American Film Institute at the time in Beverly Hills, and David Lynch was illicitly living there and filming Eraserhead in the stables. And I thought that was absolutely hilarious. First of all, I love the idea that David Lynch was living at Chilton, and number two, I love the idea that like Eraserhead was at Chilton. That very much fits for me. <laughs> So I was excited to talk about this, but I was like, oh, is there going to be 
any like natural way to bring this up on the pod this week. And I thought maybe we'll just have to wait and like talk about it later. And then I remember that the director of this episode is Leslie Linkagladder, who also directed the original TV show Twin Peaks. So I was like, oh, perfect. There's the crossover. There's also another Gilmore Girls connection, which is that the actor who plays Rune is in Twin Peaks The Return. He's in The Return. Yeah, the Showtime series. I forgotten about that. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And then Alfred and I, we were just so, we loved the documentary so much that we were like, we got to rewatch The Return. And I forgot that Rune is in it. So I, I took a picture. I took a screenshot. That makes me so happy. It's like a short, so? it's a short scene. And it's, he, he just plays like a maintenance man, but it's, it's amazing. And then Maid Shinamik, of course, and Sherilyn Fenn are also on Gilmore Girls and Twin Peaks. One thing that I did want to address, and I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but we talked about Twin Peaks and we talked about like the uncanny feeling that sort of presides over that show and the ways in which it kind of, the ways in which maybe Twin Peaks kind of informed Gilmore Girls a little bit. And a friend of mine was listening to the pod and he was like, you don't really define uncanny. And I was like, oh, of course, like two PhD (laughs) candidates were just like throwing terms around. And not like actually defining them for the audience. So I apologize. If you want to engage with this, you can. If you just want to move on, that's fine too. But I was curious, like, what uncanny means to you? And like, if you have a personal definition that might be outside of what other people might think. I'm looking at what you wrote. You said, the experience of the uncanny means a heightened sense of unreality, but that implies the presence of the real. So that it's like heightened reality that then verges on unreality. I completely agree. I think that's a really good definition. And that's just not a cop out for me. Like, I think that's genuinely really good. I think it's reality, the sense that something is extra, something is slightly off, something is either added or heightened or taken to the extreme. Maybe a stylization too, because I think that's like a really big part of Gilmore Girls, especially the early seasons and Twin Peaks. You know, careful attention to lighting and mood in a way that can like... Mm -hmm vary from you know director to director or show to show but that has a very similar like valence and that it calls out particular small details and heightens them in a way that they're not in our regular reality and that makes things seem a little strange at all yeah yeah no that's great that's great and then from there I wanted to briefly define Lynchian because Lynchian and and Uncanny are, are like sort of similar experiences this refers to the film style of David Lynch I'm not a David Foster Wallace fan, but I love this definition that he provides, which is Lynchian is a particular kind of irony where the very macabre and the very mundane combine in such a way as to reveal the former's perpetual containment within the latter. And I like that. So here's the thing. I'm not going to call Gilmore Girls Lynchian, right? No, 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 no. Because, (laughs) no, I think that the sort of fundamental core of Twin Peaks is the the supernatural mythos mm-hmm. that's at the center of that story. There is no macabre in Gilmore Girls. There's no. no supernatural. But I do think that Gilmore Girls owes a huge debt to David Lynch because even though Tw- Twin Peaks is a lot of things, it's like a horror show, it's true crime, it's sci-fi, it's about trauma and and complex family dynamics, but it's also fundamentally about small town eccentrics and it centers around a diner and people's love of coffee. (laughs) And I think like I was watching a, like a brief little clip yesterday and where Damon Lindelof was talking about 
the ways that Twin Peaks inspired a lot of modern television. He was talking about Lost and the Leftovers, but um, <laughs> which, yeah, I never watched Lost, so I don't have that particular no. like chip up. My we'll talk about it later. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about how just how much like even though Twin Peaks is so dark and it has that macabre, true crime, supernatural element to it, so much of it is about just the optimism and the eccentricity of the small town. And I thought, truly, Gilmore Girls, I don't know if it could be without Twin Peaks. And I think that maybe that's why there is so much like actor crossover. I did find an article that, if any of you listening are interested, from FlavorWire, it's you can just Google this. Why Gilmore Girls was secretly a Twin Peaks tribute show. <laughs> <laughs> it was, Thank but like the, the crossovers and how like Lorelai's romances are always thwarted by women from Twin Peaks. <laughs> they really are. I'm surprised oh. Rachel was not a Twin Peaks actress because we'll talk about her later in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Gilmore Girls could not have been made without Twin Peaks. I think Gilmore Girls would not look like how it did without Twin Peaks. And I think Twin Peaks added both like a stylistic element to TV that wasn't there before and like a a high stylistic And also I think a level of cool, it was one of like the really early like quality TV shows. Yeah. Yeah. Like early prestige television. Yeah. It's not The Sopranos, The Wire. It's like 10 years before that, maybe more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And like, I wouldn't call the Paladinos like auteurs. No. (laughs) Not like auteurs. But like the idea of the, you know, the TV showrunner as creating this little gem, this little pearl of a world they're like heavily involved in, I think is also something that David Lynch and Mark Frost laid the foundation for. So yeah, Completely. so that's, that's that. That's Leslie Linkaglatter. Um. <laughs> yeah, this episode. Should we get into it? Yes. Yeah. Let's do it. So cold open, we have Miss Patty's narration overlaid on scenes of the town getting ready for the Firelight Festival. And we learn about how Stars Hollow got its name from the two star-crossed lovers who were apparently guided by the stars to this very spot. And this is like one of my favorite cold opens. Me too. I mean, it might be my favorite. You have adorable town stuff. You have classic Miss Patty. Like, you rarely get a narrated cold open like this. This might be really the only one in the show. Yeah. And we end with finding out that this, this is Miss Patty's story time to children. <laughs> and she's, she's like, who wants to hear the, about the time I danced in a cage in front of Tito Puente? And, I'm, and they're all like, me. And I'm like, I want to hear about that, too. <laughs> it's such a great, like deflation of this sort of like storybook moment when we realize that it's that she's just talking to a bunch of little kids and then she makes that joke it's like such an inappropriate story and all the kids are so excited to hear it i love the way that gilmore girls often does like deflate a storybook moment but without taking away its sweetness like it never does it to like fun of a storybook moment in like a mean way or like to be like this stuff is stupid it just does it to like add an extra layer of humor to it yeah. Which is something I really like. Gilmore Girls to me very rarely if ever feels mean spirited. And I hate mean spirited content. Yeah. And again, like, you know, I won't talk about Twin Peaks the whole time, but <laughs> Alfred and I were talking about rewatching it. And even though it is so, I mean, like we, we were watching the return and like in one of the first early scenes, like a demon 
comes out of a glass box and like shreds two people <laughs> like to death. It seems like such a dark show, but there is so much like sweetness and love and it's like centered in the, the city of Twin Peaks. And I just definitely feel that with Gilmore Girls too. And I think that's why I do love the town heavy episodes like this one. Yeah, it has an essentially like generous core to it. Yeah. And essentially like loving it. Um, yeah, I just, I love the story. I love seeing all the townspeople like setting up by like looking at all the different booths and like what's going mm-hmm. on and all the pretty stars and it's just it's a great it's a great scene it's a great one so okay so so after the cold open we get dean at the bus stop waiting for rory reading anna karenina um (laughs) okay i i i gotta be careful and not hate dean too much because there'll be plenty of time to hate him at the end of this episode but I have a particular issue with people complaining about long Russian names because I love Russian literature and I don't think it's that hard, but you were sticking up for Dean. I will stick up for Dean here. I think that sometimes the names and it's, it's not the length of the names for me. I find the patronymics confusing. You know this, but like Russian people have three names and it's like the first is their first name. The second is their patronymic, which is like a diminutive version of their father's name. And then the third is their last name. So in Russian literature, they're often interchangeably referred to by those three names. And it's not the length of them. It's the fact that like sometimes someone is a patronymic and sometimes they're a last name and sometimes they're a first name. I'm always like, okay, I should write this down somewhere. But I will defend Dean on that note. I will also say that it is intensely optimistic for Rory to be like, Dean is going to read Anna Karenina. Like, I love that. (laughs) So he read Jane Austen. Did he read Madame Bovary or did I just make that up? Rory talks about Madame Bovary. I don't know if Dean reads it. I'll have to think about it. I can't imagine. Can you imagine Dean reading yeah. Madame Bovary? You can? No. No, I'm no. going to to read. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about Anna Karenina, I, so I read it in high school because of Gilmore Girls. I love that for you. Um, I read it on my summer break. I love but that. But it's. It's a simple, I mean, it's it, like Rory is right. Tolstoy wrote for the common man. Anna Karenina is an easy read. It's uh, very soapy. It's a uh, love story. It's very dramatic. It's very cinematic. And it's just really long. Whereas Madame Bovary is very stylistically complex. And so yeah. I think that would be definitely, even though it's shorter, yeah. far more complicated um, to read. But he does say he's going to try again, which is nice. I just think I love the idea of him being like, yeah. okay, turning to page one and being like, let me just try this again. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, it's a long freaking book. Yeah. So we also learned that this is their three month anniversary, as we said in our episode discussion. I wanted to ask this feels like to me something that's ridiculous, like now, but it's something that would feel very realistic in high school. I know. At first, I was like, three-month anniversary, that's not a thing. And then I was like, oh, yeah, it is when you're that young. The weird thing to me is that, like, I feel like when I had two long-term boyfriends in high school, and I feel like we celebrated, like, every month. Yes. <laughs> like, it's our anniversary, it's our two-month anniversary, our three-month anniversary, and so on. A random three-month anniversary seems odd, but... I agree. I think that the only thing that seems funny to me is that like everyone else acknowledges this is a big thing. Like my mom definitely would have made fun of me 
for me, like it's my three month anniversary. She would be like, cool, whatever. <laughs> Everyone in the town is like, yay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is such a thing. Like, oh, we're I mean, going to go it's out. It's cute. It's cute. I'll give them that as we're going to diss them a lot or Dean specifically a lot throughout the episode. <laughs> we'll, we'll be nice here. Oh, the town troubadour. Has he it's been on the show before? At least once before. We talked about it a little bit, but this is a really nice version with him. He does like a really nice heavenly, heavenly, that song. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really cute for the scene. It fits in super well with the episode and the feel of it. And I think that's super nice. I want to mention that Rory like plays a kind of small elaborate joke on Dean about throwing a month-long carnival when they finally got off the subject system. I think that picks up in the revival. I think that they have something similar, like Taylor's trying to get petitions for something for them to like either get off the septic system or get a new system. So whenever they say that as a noted revival fan, I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get the next scene. We are now in the kitchen at Lorelai and Rory's house. And first of all, we get an Emerald shout out. And I was a huge, <laughs> like, bam, I was a huge Emerald fan as a kid, which I know is a weird thing, but I had like an Emerald cookbook and I wouldn't, I would just read it. And I was like, <laughs> I was a really weird oh kid. Oh my God. I love to read guidebooks. I used to have a guidebook to like New York about like planning your family's vacation in New York. And I swear I read it like 300 times. And like, why? It was just descriptions. So cute. It was descriptions of like hotels and like museums and stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to read this and like imagine what my life will be when I'm older. <laughs> so I was like, Emerald, yeah. As a strange child. I love life. that. That's, that's a very Rory thing to do though. It is. Like, I read a guidebook. It really is a very Rory thing to do. <laughs> we also get some really good Lorelai pigtails here. As the pod's Lorelai pigtail fan, I need to point that out. What do you think about the shirt she's wearing? <laughs> I, I don't like, I am very into this whole look. I would not wear it. <laughs> Sequined butterfly shirt. I don't really like it, but I think that no. she, looks, she looks great in general. And I will forgive the shirt. It's not one of her more egregious ones, but yeah. It's fine. But well, I just think she looks so cute in this meme. Yeah. Lorelai looks great in this episode. Whoever was styling her, mm -hmm. this is like some of my favorite Lorelai looks in the entire show. So great job. Rory, as we will discuss, has a questionable look for most of the episode, but that is a little farther down the line. The only thing I want to mention about this scene is basically this is when Rory comes home and she's like, hey, Lorelai, can <laughs> hey, mom, can I get out of Friday night dinner? And Lorelai thinks it's really funny because she's like, Emily is not going to let you off. And she calls her and by accident is like still making fun of her on the phone. And Emily is, of course, listening. And then it turns out that Lorelai is wrong. And Emily does let Rory out of Friday night dinner. And we will find out why later. I also want to mention, too, Lorelai says a little bit about missing Max. And that's why she's not into like the lovey-dovey town stuff. I always found this a little weird and kind of shoehorned because like... Yeah. If you're paying attention to what happened in the show, she just had this whole just a boober Christopher. She hasn't seen Max in like three episodes after, you know, they, they broke up. It just feels very random. Later, she gives an explanation that's like, I had had so much going on with Christopher and then things before that. And now that the dust has settled, I have time to realize how much I miss him. 
Max, which does feel more compelling to me, but I think maybe they should have introduced that earlier in, in the episode because otherwise it just feels very random. Yeah, agreed. But then I just remembered that in the next episode, Lorelai kind of addresses that when she's True. talking about how she just like put the Max box in the closet. And when she, spoiler for next week, when they when they do get together, he's like, did you miss me or something? And she's like, no, I didn't think about you at all. I didn't think about our relationship at all. So I guess it is addressed, but it should, maybe should be here. Yeah, that's, that's definitely fair. I think that it does end up being a compelling explanation. I agree with you, though, that probably like they should have arranged dialogue wise some of that to come a little earlier. Even though I get with what they're trying to do with slow reveal on that, I still think it's a little odd for the viewer. Yeah, part of me even wondered at one point, I hope they don't do this anymore, but you know how they used to shoot shows out of order and then sometimes accidentally like, (laughs) like this episode comes before. Yeah, that would be really funny. I mean, they didn't do that with this one because like we get so many references to other stuff. Hilarious. One of my favorite moments in this episode is when Lorelai's awkwardly talking to Emily and she goes, so, you know, Rory. And Emily goes, oh, yes, I believe I do. <laughs> There's so many good, like, Emily lines and Lorelai lines in this episode. I'm so excited to get to the dinner with Chase, the awkward setup guy, because he says incredible lines and he gives us an opportunity for some truly incredible Lorelai and Emily lines. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and Richard, like subtle Richard comedy, background comedy. Richard's facial expressions are rarely funnier than they are in this episode. Yeah. When when he's like, Emily, is there any more roast? (laughs) Whenever I do a Richard impression, I think it's really good. And then when I go back and edit the podcast, I listen to it. And it's like the worst impression ever. (laughs) It sounds nothing like Richard. It just sounds like me. Well, I think you should maintain your confidence in your Richard impression. I'm into it. I like it. Thank you. Just so embarrassing, though. I'm always like, I bet that sounded really good. (laughs) So the next scene is the establishing shot outside Chilton is the, the scene of the American Film Institute, the shooting location of Eraserhead, the clandestine shooting location of Eraserhead. Um... Uh, but we, you know, we go into Tilton, we see Tristan and his new girlfriend, Summer, fully making out in front of the lockers. I was pleased to discover that you are also a fan of Summer. I love Summer. Summer is iconic. <laughs> I wish she was in every episode. She's such a perfect mean girl character. Yes. She's in the very first episode, by the way. She's one of the girls who's like painting their fingernails at Stars Hollow High. I know. They must have liked her so much that they brought her back. Because I think she's perfectly cast. I love how over the top she is. Mm-hmm. I think it works great. Yeah. I wondered, I wanted to ask you, when she tells Paris, she's like, you should get bangs. You have a bigger, like a larger forehead. You should get bangs. I always read that as like, you know, sometimes like, really pretty mean girls like give unsolicited advice in a way that's not intended to be mean I always thought it was that but then looking back I'm like no she's definitely just being a bitch (laughs) I've had the same question and I kind of came to the opposite conclusion this watch just because I like that characterization better I think I do too because the thing about Summer that we'll see in the next episode is she's so careless with people's emotions (laughs) 
Yeah, I think you're right about that. She's just like, yeah, like, I think this girl should get bangs. I'm going to tell her. Yeah, that I just like that. I, I like that character who's so carelessly mean better than the 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 girl who's like actively out to hurt people. I just think it's a funnier character. She's so awful to Tristan too. I think you're right. But I don't know. I love this scene because I love any early bonding with like Rory, Paris, Madeline, and Louise. And this scene, they're all just like standing there watching Summer and Tristan fully making out. And it's so funny. They're like united in, and it's not even like, I think it's disgust on Paris's part. Well, it's like, it's jealousy on Paris's part, but it's almost like they're just fascinated by, I think Rory says it looks like he's eating her face. They look like they're watching like tigers in a zoo exhibit. Like a nature documentary or something. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm like, I like a weirdly like a Tristan fan, even though I feel like I shouldn't be. For some reason, I'm very into this this pairing, and I just want this young love to flourish. <laughs> You're on Fully yeah. Puff, the number one couple we root for is Tristan and Summer. I hope we got back together years later. I also want to mention that I love the line Paris says, what a shame Elizabeth Barrett Browning wasn't here to witness this. She'd put her head through a wall. That's really funny. <laughs> And then in the next scene, it's pretty short. It's all lovey-dovey at the Independence Inn, including Suki and Jackson, which, as you know, the real couple we stand is Suki and Jackson. And Michelle is on the phone with somebody, unspecified gender, because he only refers to them as Cherie. I have to do more looking into this because I know they've done a lot of interviews about how, like, Amy Sherman Palladino was not permitted by the studio to write Michelle as gay. But I think that she does her best to like get it in there a little bit. So I think this is one of those moments. And I hope Michelle had a great date. Even though the words like Michelle, <laughs> Michelle and great date do not seem to go together very well. No. And I also want to mention, I love Lorelai's hair here. It's curly and it's pinned back with like kind of crystal clips. Her outfit mm-hmm. is super, super, super good. It's like kind of like a little Tweety professory, even though it's like a brown leather jacket. I know this is an unpopular opinion, but I really, really love some of the early season Gilmore Girls looks. I think they're like my favorite. Me too. And and I won't name names. I'm not going to hate on any Gilmore Girls blogs, but I did have to stop reading one blog for a couple reasons because it was very negative. It always put a negative spin on things. And I was like, why are you writing a blog about yeah. the show if you hate it so much? Exactly. But... They particularly would rag on Lorelai's clothes just constantly. And they would like talk about like ugliest outfit of the episode. And I was like, what? I just, I don't know. I like, I like her clothes. I like that 90s style. I will not like some of the later Lorelai's like completely once we get fully into the 2000s. Yeah. yeah, I completely agree, actually. And I don't like the clothing in the later seasons very much. And I think, weirdly, like most people disagree with us. I think most people like their later looks better. And I cannot imagine yeah. that that's the case. We won't be mean about it, but no. we will talk about it. Yeah, I think my mom told me once, because I was like really into 70s styles mm-hmm. when I was in high school. And my mom, I, like, she told me this as if it was a fact. And I will never, I've never forgotten it. She was like, people don't like the style that was popular when they were in high school. Uh, and I never forgot that she said that. That's a good and point. It's true. 
it's yeah. true for me. Like I am not at all about this like Y2K like look that's getting more popular now. Like I never want to see like trucker hats, low rise jeans and mini bags like purses ever again in my life. I like 90s styles because mm-hmm. when I was a kid, that was how I wanted to dress. You know what I mean? I think that's really true for me too. And I think the reason why I really hate like the stuff that's like 2007 Gilmore Girls, 2006 is because that's when I, I wasn't in high yeah. school, but I was in middle school and no, I was, I was going into high school and I just, I just hated that. And I always thought even some early 2000s stuff was cool, but mostly like the 90s and like early, early 2000s, the, the way Lorelai looked, because that was like the stuff I saw when I was a kid watching TV. And I was like, whoa, those bangs they give Rory in season six and seven live in my head, like rent free. I think about how bad they are all the time. And I'm a person who has side bangs. It's just something about they're so like, <laughs> Oh no. Oh, they're so bad. And she looks so good in season four with her little like collegey looks. I wish they let her keep those. <sighs> Whatever. So yeah, I'm fully like, I'm fully on board with you yeah. on, on Lorelai's fashion. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, we're going to get some good fashion here coming up yeah, in a moment. Yeah. Some good nineties, classic nineties, yeah. minimalist fashion. So Lorelai is super grumpy and one of the, the, the we forgot to mention like the essence of that last scene was that there's love all around her and no coffee so she has to leave the end to go to Luke's to get coffee and she walks in and she says coffee please and a shot of cynicism which I thought could be a good maybe a good title for this episode. episode but yeah Lorelai tells Luke that you know he's the one person who'll understand she's grumpy about the whole stars festival love atmosphere the town is in and he starts to rant with her and she the classic very clever setup she's so excited that he's like ranting with her and she goes like oh this is like I, I forgot I'm paraphrasing horribly this has been so great she says tomorrow I'm planning on hating everyone who says hey how's it going the door opens, this gorgeous woman oh walks in and says, hey, how's it going? And Lorelai's like, well, that's too easy. She turns yeah. around. Luke is shocked. And it's Rachel. Rachel? Uh, is so hot. <laughs> I, like- I just think Rachel is so cool in yes. general. Yes, she's great. I love Rachel. I think that they could have, re- mm-hmm. I think probably a really hard role to cast a really really easy role to make annoying and I think that they wrote it perfectly they cast it perfectly the actress plays it perfectly it really disappointed me I looked and she really wasn't in anything else and I I hope she just quit acting for personal preference reasons because she was so good and I would have loved to see her in more stuff yeah so when she walked in Alfred was like in the kitchen kind of half watching and I heard him go ugh (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, like, I so couldn't believe that he would respond that way to Rachel that I was like, what? What happened? And he was like, Rachel, ew. And I was like, oh, how dare you? <laughs> Blasphemous Which, opinion, honestly. <laughs> I know, but then I thought, well, wait, why am I so invested in Rachel? She is the, like, romantic foil here. Like, we're not supposed to like her, are we? But I think kind of are. <laughs> yeah. You think they write her to be really cool. And she's like, she's not Anna Nagini, who's like, number one, very annoying. And number two, like very Lorelai. She's like, a, she's a different type. And I think she works on the level of writing. Like, 
they found number one, one of the few women in the world who is like equally as attractive as Lauren Graham. So congratulations. That must've been really hard to do. <laughs> number two, she does look exactly like Elle McPherson. Like a couple episodes ago, Suki's like Elle McPherson kind of pretty. And it's like, what? That's insane. And then it's like, oh yeah, that was the perfect description. She nailed it. Nailed it, Suki. But I think she's like, she represents someone who could be equally as compelling to Luke as Lorelai is. Mm-hmm. She's also like an independent woman, but in a different way. She's like very cool and outdoorsy and she's involved in like photography that makes a political statement and she's not pushy or annoying. I hate, sorry, women can be pushy and that can be a great, awesome thing. She's not a romantic interest who feels like they're shoehorned in on us. You're like, oh yeah, this is Rachel. She's like yeah. a full person. I believe her. Yes, for sure. For sure. And like, I think a lot of that does come down to, I want to talk about this later when she and Luke have a really great interaction at the festival, but the acting in this episode is so good. The chemistry between that actress and Scott Patterson is amazing. I think their chemistry is so good that they have a believable history. And then that's, I think, really important. Yeah. When Anna Nardini shows Um, up, and once again, I love Sherilyn Fence. This is not a cast. This is not a knock against her. I think she does her best that she can with an annoying role. When Anna Nardini shows up, you're like, I don't believe this relationship. Or at least I I don't. Luke and Rachel, yeah. I know we spent a long time dissecting whether their timeline worked, ultimately concluding that it could. But I think that I like when she comes, I'm like, yeah, I get this. Like this, they've absolutely had a long history and they have great chemistry and like Bravo. It works really well. Yeah, she's got like a great late 90s minimalist look. She's got the beautiful curly hair and she just seems very like self-assured and confident and in a way that's just very believable. But it's it's, inter- it's an interesting scene because it's like she breezes in and she doesn't diminish Lorelai. Lorelai feels diminished. Yes. She feels very flustered and embarrassed and intimidated, but that's not really my perception. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think that I completely agree with you. I think that Lorelai feels embarrassed, but Rachel does nothing because of that. Rachel's not a mean girl. She's like, she really likes Lorelai. And like in later episodes, she tries to befriend her and they become yeah. like genuine friends. And even when, spoiler alert, Rachel leaves because of, you know, sensing Lorelai and Luke have like, like each other, she doesn't even do it in a way where she insults Lorelai. She's just like, yeah, like I don't want to get in the way of something. And I think that Lorelai is just a little embarrassed because she likes Luke and She's heard about this woman a lot and here she's like better than she could have imagined. And she's, I think Lorelai wouldn't, Lorelai wouldn't have been intimidated by like a mean girl or someone who tried to diminish her, but she is intimidated a little bit by somebody who like is just naturally cool. Yeah. Plus as somebody who's more of a Lorelai in terms of like being a little, like I like to wear makeup and that kind of thing, even though when I record the podcast, I was like a gremlin. Girls who are like very effortlessly- No, I do. Girls who are like very effortlessly, like no makeup, like traveling pretty and like that kind of like I can hoof it anywhere regardless of where I am. That's always been the type of girl I've wanted to be. And so I would be in the same as Laura. I would be like, oh, gosh, <laughs> this girl is so much Aww. cool. <laughs> so into the next scene, we then have more getting ready, which is something we love about the show. And we've talked about a lot. Here, Lorelai is helping Rory get ready for her three-month anniversary date. <sighs> I hate Rory's outfit here. <laughs> and I think her hair what looks What is weird. wrong yeah. with this outfit? <laughs> I'm ready to say that this is like... Actually, I'm not because I just talked about how much I hate the later season's fashion. This is Rory's worst <laughs> school outfit, I think. It's bad. It makes her look like a 12-year-old. 
and it's ugly. You know, it's funny that you say that because I thought it made her, it like aged her up. Like it reminds me of a dress an old lady would wear, but you're right. And that might be the problem that it's both. (laughs) (laughs) It's right. It's not like it doesn't age her down in a cute way. It's not like too cute. It's like both too fussy and infantilizing. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah. So for those of you who aren't going back and rewatching the episode, it's like a halter necked pink, bright, bright, like almost hot pink dress. And it has a fake flower, like a carnation (laughs) that appears to like have come with the dress and is pinned like not quite extremely high on the neck, but pretty high. And that's it. And it's it's pretty loose. And it's just, it's genuinely bizarre. Yeah, I think it reminds me, the reason I thought old lady is it kind of reminds me of this like weird frilly high neck dress, satiny dress style that like my, when my grandma would wear in like the 90s. It's just like weird. It's just so weird. And then the fact that it's also a halter and then it has the flower. It's just so bizarre. And then... She holds up these two cardigans and she's like, which one? One of them is so freaking ugly. It's like weird stripes and like some of the stripes are like this weird yellow. And and luckily she doesn't wear those, but like it's a. And it's also, it's cut in a way that if she had worn a cardigan, she would have had like an inch of shoulder showing, which like you can't do that. I've done that. It looks so bad. Learn from my mistake. (laughs) <laughs> it's just unbelievably bad. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for letting me want to rant about that. That's something I was looking forward to talking about on the pod. <laughs> me too. Me too. And as I said previously, like it wasn't as bad as I remembered, but it's really bad. I don't know what I, I thought it was like. I thought she looked absolutely terrible. She she saves the look by being Alexis Bledel. Yes. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but she it is a terrible dress. Terrible dress. I wonder because the costuming is so good for the rest of the episode. I wonder if they were like trying to do something here deliberately, like, oh, you know, it's her three month anniversary, but she still feels a little immature and not ready to say I love you. But like, I don't know if that's a stretch. It might just be a bad dress. Yeah. Because of the high neck, I was just thinking back to the last episode when we were talking about Lorelai. Oh, actually, maybe it is on purpose. Because remember, we we mentioned that Lorelai's wearing this very, like, tight turtleneck when she's talking to Suki about her, like, complicated feelings with Christopher. And we were like, well, maybe this is, like, her feeling kind of smothered or, like, restrained. Like, she doesn't know how to express her feelings. She doesn't – maybe doesn't want to feel. And that is – kind of a theme that they're playing with so maybe they did deliberately make her look a little strangled i actually think that's a pretty good read because she's she feels strangled by dean and his sudden as we'll talk about his sudden outburst yeah i think that's a pretty good read i was thinking because the rest of the night goes really well i was like hmm but i think that reading it in the context of the eventual end of the date i think that makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. yeah Huh. Yeah. And so you pointed out that you love Lorelai's look and I do too. And I noticed because like, la- like lavender and light blue are my favorite colors. And so I always like note when those appear. Also, they look amazing on Lauren Graham because of her blue eyes and dark hair. But I had noticed those colors are part of the color scheme for the Firelight Festival. So then they're repeated in her outfit. 
And then they repeated on Emily's dress or scarf or whatever at Friday night dinner. So a lot of thought went into costume design. Yes, that's yeah. So Rory's not accidentally wearing a bad dress. I think you're right. That that's yeah. brilliant. You noticed yeah. that about the Firelight Festival colors. Wow, nice job. They're my favorite colors. And so I was like, oh, there they are, and there they are, and there. <laughs> yeah, I want to just describe her outfit because I think it's one of my favorites in the entire show. Wearing like a thick blue headband and a blue V-neck sweater, and her, her hair is really curly as it has been on the episode, and a skirt that's also blue, and brown high boots. It, to me, is like the platonic Lorelai good look. So yeah. great. Oh, and the dark hair. I just love it. So we also want to mention, too, that Lorelai makes Rory promise to bring her a single meatball because they have a lady and the tramp joke going on. That was one of my favorite childhood movies. So I really appreciate that. They were talking about like eating spaghetti and having one strand. And you, you know the classic lady and the meatball thing, right? <laughs> we don't have to rehash that part of it for you. <laughs> No, but it does establish the joke. Anytime anybody asks about the meatball, she says it's a mother-daughter thing, which is very cute. Lane shows up. Turns out she has a, a sad date with a future chiropractor. Rory asks, like, oh, is it with a future doctor? And she says, no, a future chiropractor. I think my parents are losing faith in me. And then, and then, I just wanted to point this out because I think it's so dumb that Dean, like... That makes this big deal about the three-month anniversary. And then, as we will soon see, this big deal about, like, telling Rory that he loves her. And yet, he just honks. <laughs> he can't come to the door to actually, like, come get her for their big date. Dean, Emily told you in several previous episodes to come to the door. You did not learn your lesson at all. No. And, I mean, I feel like... By the time that I was in high school, if my boyfriend was coming to pick me up, he did have a cell phone. I think he would probably just call the house and be like, hey, I'm outside. I'm just very sound sensitive and so honking bugs me. Um, I'm also just looking for reasons to hate Dean. (laughs) And we have so many. We have so many. We will get to them soon. Before that, though, we get Lorelai showing up for Friday night dinner. There's just a super cute scene. Things are still awkward between her and her parents because of what happened last week. And uh, she like goes in to sit down with Richard. She has no Rory buffer. So it's like super awkward. And she starts fiddling with these figurines, which I thought, and then you pointed out, it seems weird. Like Emily does not seem like a tchotchke person. No. Lorelai is. Yes. So she's messing with these like glass bunnies. And we were both like, is this like just for this one episode? But then I remember that when she goes shopping, she has her like shopping spree, her crazed <laughs> shopping spree post Penel and Lot. I love that episode. She does talk about buying like, I forget what they are. They're like glass oranges or something. Apples. I just watched that episode. Apples. Yes. Yes. So I don't know. Maybe Emily's secretly collecting glass, little glass <laughs> figurines this whole time. I also, because I just watched season four, after Lorelai and Rory go on their Europe trip, they bring Emily back like a little snow globe Paris thing, which is like, number one, a very lame gift. And number two, that it does make sense within the context of this. Maybe Emily collects like really good tchotchkes. Yeah, right. But I just really like this scene. Lorelai is very infantilized. Richard is just like, sit down and be quiet or put your hands in your lap and be quiet. (laughs) 
But then it is revealed yeah. that this is not just a regular Friday night dinner. This is actually a setup. Yes. The doorbell rings. Emily goes and brings forward one of my all-time favorite minor Gilmore Girls characters, Chase, the actuary. Chase rules. I love how, like, just he's the most boring guy on the on the planet, but in a weird way. He's so weird. Alfred loves him too. And actually, funny story, Alfred studied actuarial science and he was like, I can't do this. I can't. I can't handle it. <laughs> it's I so boring. Actuaries are really smart and it's like the most, no offense to any actuary listeners we have, but I know it, it can be for many people very boring. <laughs> Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that like the narrator, uh, then sort of nameless Edward Norton's character in Fight Club is an actuary. Oh, is he? That's so, Yeah. I think so. Don't become an actuary. You yeah. will engage in Fight Club activities. You will be, become so bored that you will actually lose your mind. <laughs> Honestly, seems like it makes sense. So he's not bored by like 90s conceptions of late capitalism. He's bored by like the actuary duties specifically. That, that, that tracks for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This dude rules, though. Number one, he looks like a Sex in the City boyfriend. Perfect. Perfectly oh, yes. oh, my God. Yes. He's, like, one of the annoying guys oh, that yes. Sex in the City and who would have, like, a weird, funny sex thing. And I'm sure he does in this in this universe, too. Yeah. I He'd be, like, somebody, like, Charlotte would date. Yes. Mm-hmm. She'd, like, because she would want that, like, perfect house in the country, in Connecticut, but he would be so deeply weird sexually that they would break it up. <laughs> As, yeah, I should have specified because to me, he's a Charlotte boyfriend, 100%. For sure. um, that's another Twin Peaks overlap because Charlotte's husband is, of course, Kyle. I can't remember right now. Kyle McLaughlin. There we go. Yeah. And, you know, I did. One reason that I wanted to talk a little bit about the like thematic similarities between Gilmore Girls and Twin Peaks is I don't want people to think that we're just like because they share similar actors they have a similar sensibility like Kyle MacLachlan like Sex in the City and Desperate Housewives are not Twin Peaks-esque no maybe Desperate Housewives Housewives. I was just gonna say Desperate Housewives kind of is yeah Uh, but I still I still think it's fun to to note those Yeah, you know what? You are so spot on with the description of Chase as a Charlotte boyfriend that a part of me feels like, was he on Sex in the City? We'll post like on Instagram later if we find anything about him. Um, He he even has like the Charlotte boyfriend forehead. Do you know what I mean? Like his forehead is like too big. (laughs) Like a guy in Sex in the City. He's not unattractive, but he's not quite handsome. I do want to mention my favorite part of the Chase thing is that he apparently like lived down the street when they were younger and he had two Dobermans named Leopold and Loeb. Do you guys know, <laughs> you guys know who Leopold and Loeb are? They were two murderers. They were like, <laughs> University of Chicago students who like decided in a kind of like crime and punishment way to like see if they could pull off the perfect murder and they killed this kid and they got caught and they had like the, one of the trials of the century was like the Leopold and Loeb trial and it's, su- it's such a funny joke from Gilmore Girls that is that's the Gilmore Girls sensibility there yeah <laughs> and when when Chase says that they've sadly passed on Lorelai says postmen finally <laughs> got organized huh 
you know, I think I love Chase not just because he's boring, because he's so socially awkward to the point where, spoiler for in a few minutes, when Lorelai ditches him, I actually feel bad for him. No, I'm always like, Lorelai, like, I would have absolutely wanted to get oh. out of this too. And I love how it works, like, in the show. But I'm like, oh, somebody had to explain that to Chase. <laughs> he seems like a nice he, guy. He's just, you can't marry he does. him. Or date him or no, be around no, no. him. He's so weird, though. I almost feel like he might not even understand that he was ditched. Like, he's just, <laughs> you know? Oh, God, he's a character. He absolutely is. We talked a little bit about Emily's look here earlier that we liked with the Firelight Festival colors. She has like either a scarf on or like purple sections of her shirt by her shoulders that really make it look like she's wearing a cape. It's very chic. I love yeah. it. Yeah, I love that too. I thought it was part of the dress. And then I actually thought she was like wearing some sort of cape. Like, I think there's a name for it, like a short cape, cape ladder, some cape. I don't know. But I do think it's just a scarf over her shoulders, but it's so pretty. The color scheme matches Lorelai's outfit. One thing I like about the Gilmore scenes, the Friday night dinner scenes, is that there's tension. Uh, I don't even know if I want to say there's tension. There's It's it's very light given everything that happened the previous week. Yes. Like mm-hmm. even this interaction with Lorelai and Emily in the kitchen where Lorelai confronts her about making this a setup. I just feel like there's a lightness to it. Even when, so Emily kind of roasts her, she says, I want you to think about something. Tonight, your daughter is celebrating her three-month anniversary. What was the last relationship you had that lasted that long? And Lorelai can't answer. And then she just goes, I thought so. It doesn't come across as mean. It actually is kind of cute to me. Like, Emily really is just setting Lorelai up with this weird, boring guy. Yeah, I never thought about what you, what you just said, the fact that it feels so much lighter, but it doesn't feel like out of sequence or anything. It just like, last week was so emotionally exhausting with all of them that it would have just been so, we still get the Richard stuff addressed, but it's resolved in like a nice way. Yeah, And it would have just yeah. been so emotionally draining to have another like really dark dinner. This is the perfect way to address it because if it had just been the three of them, they would have had to like talk about what happened the week before or like whenever Christopher was there, which I guess is the week before because Richard is still awkward. Yeah, but you know, I didn't even think about that, but maybe that's partially why Emily yeah. wanted a buffer. Oh, well, sense. also she's just being opportunistic. Yeah, it's, it's probably all of those things. <laughs> she was like, this is a great yeah. opportunity. I think when Rory called, the wheels started spinning and she was like, let's kill two birds with one stone here. Yeah, right. (laughs) So then Rory and Dean, we cut to them out to dinner to celebrate their anniversary. They're in an Italian restaurant. Rory is drinking soda, which appears to be like a Coke with pasta. I love pasta and I love Diet Coke. And I would never drink them together, especially like a heavy kind of like fettuccine-like pasta, which is what I'm imagining her getting. Fettuccine is very much like a pasta you eat in high school on a date. Yes, for sure. Especially in 2001. That's all Alfredo. It had a real moment. It actually threw me for a loop for a second because I love red wine and I love pasta and I saw their glasses and I was like, why are they drinking their wine in like weird glasses? I'm like, oh, right. They're teenagers. They are children. (laughs) 
Marie also has a really cute line where she says, this is just like the Christmas. I got a full set of in- illustrated encyclopedias and then pauses. <laughs> I wanted them. You know, I allowed myself to kind of get into this scene and enjoy how sweet it is. Yeah. Dean seems very happy. Rory is very happy. She's even more bubbly than usual. And I think that that's just really cute that they yeah. kind of highlight how relaxed and happy she is. I'm buying it. I I like this scene. I This is like the only time I have ever thought Dean and Rory were a cute couple. So congratulations to them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then also Rory gets a meatball. I feel like we should say something more, but I think we need to move on and just get yeah, to the break. Yeah. <laughs> so cut back to Friday night dinner at the Gilmore house and Chase is just the worst. He is just proving himself to be completely weird socially weird he like keeps going on about like researching crime rates etc because you know emily asks like why did he move back to hartford because that's where he grew up and he talks about all of like the detailed analysis that went into choosing to move back to hartford as opposed to new york there's a great moment when he talks about how lucky he is to be able to choose his own locale and lorelei completely seriously just goes wow, I would love to be choosing my locale at this moment. And she is just like batting a thousand here with every every time he makes a completely serious statement. She just responds with a joke and he does not get any of them. He asks if she's a member of the DAR and she goes, no, (laughs) D-A-R-N. Which would be a moment is if he were like a normal person that he would like, they could bond and like be jokey. But he's not, he just like stares at her. I do want to qualify that like when we say when we say he's weird like we love weird Gilmore Girls characters and Gilmore Girls loves weird characters he's like weird but not in a fun way he's not embracing his weirdness I would kind of beg to differ he's so perplexing to me he's so aggressively normal it's almost like he's an alien who read a handbook about how to be a human (laughs) I think what it is and that's why like he's entertaining for us as the viewer He's like alternate universe Kirk. If Kirk were like more normal. It wasn't like he has the weird quotient and quite enough yet to be to be fun for Lorelai. But he's like, yeah, he's 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 he could be in another universe that level of weird. Yeah. Just the fact that like he doesn't even understand the DARN thing. He also doesn't understand that it's a bad joke. Like, that's the part. That's the joke. But it's not a funny joke. Yeah, he just, like, stares at her and it's like, buddy, come on. What's perfect is Richard is also, like, not into him. And, like I I alluded to earlier when he says he's talking about the crime rates, Richard's like, Emily, is there any more roast in that, like, really pained voice? And it's so funny. And we should also, we should add that Richard is an insurance man. He works for an insurance company. Chase being an actuary, actuaries work for insurance companies. They do statistics, prepare statistical models. So the implication is that there should be common ground here. And Richard cannot stand this man. (laughs) Which is great. Like, that's why it works. Yeah. And Richard also is like making some incredible facial expressions in this. It's a very subtle background comedy (laughs) with Richard. Edward Herman is killing it. So this is just really quick. Rory and Dean go to the Firelight Festival. We see the mayor, who we learned from Dean has a last name, Mayor Porter. 
I think it's the last time we ever see him. He's like, I met my wife, Miss Dora Braithwaite, which is like such a perfect 40s name. Nice job, Gilmore Girls, at the Firelight Festival. <laughs> She's not there because she went to bingo in Bridgeport. And the town <laughs> can't figure out how to light the fire. <laughs> so Rory's like, no, 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 we can like cut out and come back in. There'll still be time enough to see the bonfire. They're not going to figure this out for a while. <laughs> And then, so we cut back to Chase and the Gilmores at dinner. And apparently Chase has a model that will practically pinpoint the day you're going to die. <laughs> Though he can't do it himself. He's needed it in the computer to get an answer. And Richard thinks this is ridiculous, of course. Though, in the revival, as a revival fan, I have to point this out. Emily says that Richard has invented a model that can predict the exact date and time you're going to die. And that he was able to predict like the date and time one of his friends died. I don't mind that continuity error because I think both jokes are really funny. <laughs> so Lorelai sneaks away to her room. She cannot take it anymore and starts climbing out the window <laughs> only for Richard to walk in. And Lorelai starts saying that she knows this is bad and it's probably bringing back all these bad memories from her childhood. And she's sorry they fought last week and she wishes there's something she could do to fix their relationship, but there isn't. And she's proud of who she is and she's sorry, but please don't make her go back there because, quote, that guy is boring. <laughs> and then Richard comes <laughs> for her, which is such a great way for them to reconcile in like an understated way without having to say it. She's like, Emily, she's not yeah. in there. And I just think it's so perfect. It's really sweet. And Lorelai says, thank you, daddy. And I usually hate Aww. like anyone calling their dad daddy, but I think it's really cute here. Love it. One of the great Richard and Lorelai seats. Yeah, same here with regard to, to daddy. <laughs> but it works. It just works. All right, here we go. Um, okay. This scene bothers me so much. And I think it is actually like a damaging scene for young women. Like I, you know, we can talk about that. We will talk about this as the whole Dean drama continues to play out through the end of this season. But I have felt like the show makes this seem like this is Rory's problem. This is yeah. like Rory's fault and that we should be sympathetic towards Dean. That's just how I've read it over the years maybe maybe we can try to see it like from another way like if we if we are reading the dress as like strangling rory maybe is there is some like subtle messaging that like this is not okay behavior on dean's part but i don't know i i just really feel like they sort of put this emotional obligation on rory's shoulders in a way that's really not fair but that's not the preface. We haven't even talked about what's actually happened. So Dean takes Rory to a junkyard. <laughs> Potential Kilmore Girls moment right here. But it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't turn out that way. We learn that he's building her a car piece by piece. Blah, blah, blah. I guess that's supposed to be romantic. They get in the car. Rory says, I'm having one of those moments right now when everything seems so perfect and so wonderful that you almost feel sad. Because nothing can ever be this good again. And Dean says, well, I'm depressing you. And Rory says, yep. And, you know, it's like a funny, lighthearted scene. She's so happy. They, like, sort of recline back in the car. He has his arm around her. And he tells her that he loves her. So Rory is completely surprised, completely taken aback. She freezes up. She doesn't answer. And this turns into a huge fight that will ultimately culminate in Dean dumping her. Give me your thoughts. 
Well, first I want to preface by addressing your earlier point and saying that I think if you just watch this scene alone, I think the show seems much more sympathetic to Rory. However, I think if you watch it, spoiler alert, in the context of the fact that they eventually get back together at the end of season one, and like they do so by her because telling- Because she says, I love you. I don't see this scene in the same light anymore. And I think it, it is saying that something is wrong with Rory. I hate Dean's reaction here. Every single time I watch it, it's worse than I remembered it being. Because I, I know. As an immature 16-year-old, if- I certainly much less mature than Rory was probably much more mature than Dean was. I would have been upset if I said, I love you to someone and they didn't say it back. However, that's not really what happens here necessarily. Number one, my reaction would have been incorrect because you can't make anyone feel Mm -hmm. a certain way to you and that, you know, girls and everyone, you, you know, you don't owe the person you're dating any particular feeling. That being said, I think it's okay to be like a little disappointed. Dean jumps from the second she says it to she doesn't say it he jumps into angry mode he doesn't give her like a second to think about it he's not like okay you know I'm a little disappointed they don't even like talk about it back and forth at all for a second he just jumps right into kind of not kind of screaming at her he jumps right into yelling at her yeah so I completely agree with you like you put your heart out there, you allow yourself to be vulnerable in front of someone who you love, who you care about, and you, in your mind, you're rejected, right? You don't get the response that you want. Okay, I get it. Like that's, that's, that would suck. That would be embarrassing. You feel vulnerable. Sometimes when we feel vulnerable, we lash out. But the immediate male aggression that yes. just comes flying at Rory is so unsettling to me. This was another one. I forget what was, I had mentioned this one other episode with you and Ebo about how when scenes get too emotional, even if there isn't like, even if they're not loud, I sometimes have to turn them down like oh, so I can yeah. be here. Cause I like, I just get, it's just too much. I have those like having to turn this down. He is yelling, but it's not like, he's not screaming. There was no reason for me to turn it down except that I was like, just internally. No shielding my heart to me he gets really loud like he immediately like I you know I keep saying like his the volume on his voice raises quite a bit and he not only yells yeah he starts being like a very mean it's not like he just it's not like the pitch of his voice just angry he starts making very cruel comments I guess that's what I want to say like he says you what you want to think about it you want to go home and discuss it with your mother make one of your pro and cons Holy shit, man. It's a direct personal attack. Yeah. Not only on, like, Rory, like, it's not like he's just making, like, just being mean to her. He's actually, like, getting at a fundamental core of Rory's personality, which is that she overthinks things. She needs time to process. That's why she makes the pro-con lists, you know? So it's, like, fundamentally insulting her core. Yeah. I don't even think she overthinks most stuff. I just think she's like a rational thinker who like wants to take her time through things. But I completely agree with why. Yeah, I didn't mean over that. No, she says, she herself yeah. says thinks a lot. I think what also disturbs me about this is how quickly he goes from like zero to 60. Just like he does in the Donna Reed yeah. stuff. It, it's almost like he yeah. uncorks the bottle and it all comes out like he had, had it like dormant. He's not like, you know, sometimes you're in a fight with someone and it like starts out like a little eh, and then it escalates because you're sort of just continuing to fight he goes with like no provocation from 
like yeah. talking to just bah, 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 and being mean. And just like when with, with in the Donna Reed episode, when he says like that insulting thing about like, oh, you only like her because your mother likes her. He jumped so immediately to cruelty that it is, yeah. I think it's a huge red flag. This to me is one of the moments closest to or steps into outright abuse from him. For sure. And, you know, this is going to make me sound kind of like prudish, but one th- thing that also stuck out to me, like I swear regularly in my life, <laughs> try, to, try to restrain it for the pod, but, you know, I'm not offended by swear words. But, you know, this was a WB show. They don't swear a lot. And one thing that did stick out to me is that he says, what the hell? Yeah. Which like was a deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. to use more inflammatory language. And he's like, his movements are very like erratic. He's like huffing and puffing, like he's throwing a tantrum. Yeah. And I mean, it's very, it is very disturbing to me. They're alone in a junkyard. He, it's like, I, you know, we've, we've talked about this, you know, from the beginning, from the introduction of Dean, where like my hatred of him is somewhat jokey because <laughs> he's a fictional teen. And like getting hung up about hate on hating him is maybe silly, but I genuinely do think that he is an emotionally abusive boyfriend. It bothers me to see that behavior modeled and then swept under the rug. If I was aware of a young woman whose boyfriend treated her that way, I would be very concerned. I would be too. And if, you know, if you're listening to the pod and this is something you recognize, like this is, this is not okay. And it's not okay at all. Yeah. His reaction is just so disproportionate. That's what I keep coming back to. Like, unless Rory manages his emotions, which she spends a lot of time doing, he freaks out at her. And I think that that is, that's just, it's very dangerous. Like he can't handle one pushback or not even pushback, just not doing exactly what he wants in the moment. And I think Dean gets a lot like love because well not from the fans people hate Dean but like I think Dean gets a lot of love from the show because like he doesn't pressure Rory to have sex and like you know he seems outwardly in all of these ways considerate but really emotionally he is very freaky that's what bothers me and that's what disappoints me about the show with how they handle the scene that like telling young women that they owe people emotions like it sets up a precedent where what's next? Your body? Yeah. You know, your mind? Like, And I would say, too, like, it's just as damaging to say, like, so you owe someone you're dating, like, that emotional particular feeling. Yeah. It's really scary. And I think that Rory has a really cogent explanation for, like, why she doesn't feel ready oh, to yeah. say it. But she shouldn't have to have anyone at all. And also, they've been dating. I mean, I guess in high school, everything feels longer. Of course it does. Like we've been talking about this, but they've been dating for three months. I think in high school that feels yeah. like a, you could say I love you, but like, come on. <sighs> this is one of my top five most difficult to watch Gilmore Girls scenes. And you guys who are listening to the pod know that I love Gilmore Girls drama. So it's difficult for one to, <laughs> to watch, not because it's dramatic, but because I feel like it is actually like frightening. Yeah. It reminds me of some unhealthy relationships that I had. And fundamentally, it was that sense that like you owe your boyfriend something, whether that be something physical, something emotional. It's like a weird form of coercive control, I think, that gets like 
brushed under the rug in high school because emotions are heightened in high school. And I get that, but I think it just sets up really, really dangerous precedent for young women moving forward. So, you know, I don't know how old our listeners are, but like, like we said, that's not okay. It's not okay. You don't know anyone and emotion ever. And at any age, if you may need to hear that too, like sometimes it's really good to have that reaffirmed. So listeners of any age, once again, we don't know. How old? I don't trust like the Spotify data on how old our listeners are. <laughs> but um, so just if you if you if you're looking for a sign, here it is from Bully Pup Pod. You don't have to put up with this. The last thing I want to say about this scene is I think that it wouldn't at all be acceptable, and would still everything we would say about it would apply if it didn't end the relationship. But it would be one thing to be like we had one really really bad fight. I'm going to address yeah. my behavior, you know, I'm going to do some self-searching. We're not going to break up because that's super weird to break up over this. <laughs> and like, okay, we're going to try to repair it. And maybe we stay together. Maybe we don't. The fact that he just jumps from like, we have a great relationship that I really enjoy to if you can't be all in emotionally, I'm breaking up with yeah. you. Or not even all in emotionally because she is. If you just, if you're not at the same level of feeling no. that I we're breaking up. If, and I'm if just- you don't give me what I want. That's really what it second. is. Yeah, Dean always has to have what he wants in that moment. Yeah, I think it's not even about like, are we emotionally compatible? It's like, are you not going to follow what I want? And then he's like, okay, bye. I'm going to yeah. drop you off at your house and then we're not going to speak again. Like, what is that, man? Yeah, no, thank you for pointing that out because I was just getting so focused on just the scene in the car. But the essential part of this is that then she is punished. Yes. So uh-huh. he uses his power over her to punish her it's not even that she doesn't love him. It's that she won't acquiesce. She won't just yeah. give him what he wants in that second. And yeah, and then he humiliates her by dumping her. It's wow. Awful. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just terrible. We hate Dean with good reason. I do want to say I'm not on the like Gilmore Girls subreddit or anything. Neither of us are. Even I, I don't like... Yeah, right. But you seem to be more like in touch with yeah, I follow it on more Twitter. girls like Twitter and like, yeah, fan yeah. stuff. I don't remember if I brought this up before or if I just thought about it. But my recollection when I was in high school, when the show was airing, was that people were very pro Dean. And I think it's interesting when you mentioned that that, that has changed. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's because of the times because people are more able to point out this really, really, really pathological behavior. So 100% right. I think it is because of the times. Because I I remember even like, you know, watching it in like elementary, middle school, like people liking Dean and me being like, is Dean so bad? Like, yes. But now I, I can't think of, I mean, I can think of like one account I've ever seen like defending his behavior. And I know that if you look for them, you can find them. But when they do those polls, it's like, are you team like Dean, team Jess or team Tristan? <laughs> it's always like a lot Jess, a little less Tristan and like 10% Dean. It is like people do not like him. And I think it's because the new generation of fans, whether you're coming to it like, you know, you're 50 years old or you're 16 because cultural mores have changed, have an easier time recognizing that that behavior is unacceptable. This this is bad. I think maybe the worst is one of my favorite episodes, the episode where Jess and Paris with the yeah. um, oh, Indian food. That one is like unquestionably like abusive boyfriend behavior (laughs) i think this one scares me more i don't there's something about it that like it's just whoa 
I just, I would like to know what the end game was because, you know, sometimes the showrunners have, I mean, they had so much control. I just wonder, like, were they always going to bring him back? Were they always going to, like, redeem him at the end of season one or redeem the relationship? Or I mean, it just seems like it, 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 it blows my mind that they could have written a scene like that. If the plan was yeah. to bring I'm sure it probably always will. I don't, I don't know. We'll have to, let me see if I can do some digging into that. I don't know if there's anything to find. Cause the more that I'm thinking about, and again, I'm, I, I don't want to like, I'm not saying like Dean is a sexual harasser or like anything, but I do think it's interesting the way that they set up the scene in a junkyard. I mean, we were joking about Kilmore girls, yeah, like, it's like how that would be a creepy setting. Nobody's around. Nobody's there to witness him lashing out at her. And right. then he like drives yeah. her home, like humiliated and hurt. I mean, well, I was just gonna say nobody. He wouldn't do this in public, but he does do it in public multiple times throughout the show. Oh, yeah, so, that's right. <laughs> but I think that so if there is a defense of the show, which I'm, I don't know if there is. I think it comes from looking past the season one finale and into the way they treat him throughout the rest of the show. Because in season two and three, he becomes increasingly, or at least, you know, we see more incidents like this. And the show clearly wants you to stop, wants you to stop rooting for him and Rory. Like it really makes that decision when Jess shows up. And, you know, Amy Sherman Palladino, I know, has talked about bringing Jess on as a way to like keep Luke and Lorelai from getting together. Also, obviously, it was because they wanted another love interest for Rory and like a love triangle, blah, blah, blah. But like, Maybe realizing that Dean is not like the end game guy was a big part of that too. And Jess has like a ton of issues. I think Jess is really awful to Rory in a lot of ways. I know that's an unpopular opinion. Jess, but Jess is, he, he is, it's all out there. Yeah, that's you actually know, like all of it. Jess, it's all out there. <laughs> yeah. The deans of the world are insidious to me because they're the guys who your parents like and trust, yes. you know, mm-hmm. and then and they abuse women in a way that doesn't leave bruises and that is ambiguous and hard to like pinpoint. Like, why was that so hurtful? Like, why did it make me feel diminished and punished and bad? And like, and they get away with it because they're not the Jesses. Right. <laughs> And I think, you know, people wonder why, like, a lot of us on here on Fully Puffed are Team Logan. And I think that, like, Logan has a lot of annoying qualities about him. I don't like that type of guy who's like, oh, I'm, like, rich and blah, blah, blah. But Logan is, like, absolutely treats Rory the best emotionally. I think that there yeah. are very few, if any, red flags with Logan. Even the only one thing I don't like is when they break up and he, like, sleeps with some other people. And I think that, like, he could have addressed that better. But, like, he's, he's always, I think, very emotionally respectful of her. Like Jess and Dean have a lot of red flags. And for Logan, it's like, I don't think they're supposed to be together, but I think he's a much better like emotional match. Yeah. <laughs> In my notes, I wrote, you remember 30 Rock deal breaker? <laughs> That's a deal breaker, ladies. <laughs> yeah. If your high school boyfriend treats you like this, dumps you for not saying I love you on at his whim, that's a deal breaker, ladies. <laughs> my brother got me a that's a deal breaker, ladies pillow for Christmas a couple years ago, and I still have it. It's great. I have it on my Oh bed. my God, that's amazing. Okay, so oh. just one more scene, like one and a half more. Time to shift into a happier Gilmore Girls moment. Oh yeah, this is so, this is a nice. It's great. Yeah. This is good. This is why the episode is watchable. We go back to the Firelight Festival. Lorelai has now shown up because she got out of dinner. 
and we get a cute Suki and Jackson moment. It's just very simple and sweet. And then we have Rachel who's taking pictures, drinking Founders Day Punch, and then she comes back to Luke. <laughs> and they kind of have like a, not a define the relationship conversation, but like a quasi define the relationship conversation. He's like, are you going to tell me why you're here? She's like, I just wanted to see you. She says, I noticed you're not that happy to see me. And she, he says, you have a tendency to leave suddenly. And she's like, yeah, that's true. But still, I missed you. And he says he missed her too. And then she asks him what the deal is with Lorelai, which she pronounces in like a way I'm obsessed with because it's so weird. She goes, what's up with Lorelai? <laughs> and then I don't think Lorelei. she pronounced for the rest of the show. And I'm just like, I imagine the rest <laughs> of the take was so good that like the directors were like, fine, we'll keep it. We're not going to ask her to redo it. She once again affirms herself as like a good person by not being like, what's the deal with Lorelai in like a mean way. She's just like, hey, what's going on with you and Lorelai? I don't want to step on anything here. And you had written down that she's kind of like an audience surrogate here. And I agree. Like, what's the deal with Lorelai, Luke? <laughs> We've been dying to know. <laughs> thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Just like how Emily asks Lorelai a couple episodes ago, like, what's the deal with you and Luke? Yeah. And then, so Luke says, you know, I don't think there's anything going on. And Rachel's like, well, how about in the future? And he's like, you know, I don't know. It seems like sometimes there could be something, but then, eh. And then he's like, you know, what I do know is that I'm really happy to see you, which is cute. Totally back your point that you made earlier in the episode, how Luke and Rachel have great chemistry. This scene is so good together. I believe them as a couple who has a long history and props to the actors for doing a really great job on this. Yeah, his delivery is so amazing. I just like, it really blew me away. The way that he says, like, I don't know, like, he's so yeah. honest, like, it's baffling to him. Like, it, it, he finally acknowledges, like, I've kind of like, I've been wondering, it seems like something, but I don't know. And I just, I love that where he's, he's not defensive. They're yeah. just being very honest and, oh, interesting, like, to contrast an immature relationship, Dean and Rory. Here we have an example of two people who maybe have conflicting feelings or, you know, are kind of on an uncertain ground in their relationship, but they're able to talk about it in a way that's open and they can be vulnerable without fear of being heard. And it's just, it's a yeah. nice scene. I love that idea of contrasting those two relationships. I think that that works really well. And I think that's a great way to view the episode in these scenes. Nice job. And I think that Scott Patterson does a lot with like the way he emotes vocally in this show mm -hmm. and like, both yeah. in ways and in dramatic ways. And I think this is a great example of it. And then Rachel goes off to take some more pictures and get some more Founders Day Punch as she is a Founders Day Punch <laughs> junkie, which Luke will say, Lorelai comes and sits down. We find out that Taylor and Harry, the mayor, got in a fist fight earlier, which I would pay to see. <laughs> and asks, like, what's the haps with him and Rachel? They have a little banter about the haps thing. And <laughs> that, you know, you spend a lot of time debating what's right and what's wrong. And that sometimes you just have to jump in. Lorelai says she thinks that's really great. And that it's nice to have somebody to check up on you. Because Luke says he's going to check up on Rachel. And they kind of affirm that they'll see each other tomorrow. It's really good. Again, great chemistry, as you pointed out. Yeah. And I love to, you know, you've pointed this out throughout our conversation, just how cool it is that they can bring in a romantic rival, which I mean, that's what Rachel is, but without any cattiness or yeah. any of that, like. There's no like misogynistic portrayal of anyone here. Just like, yeah, yeah two great ladies. Yeah. Two great, cool, in strong, independent, beautiful women. And you can choose, Luke. 
Yeah. And also like Luke's a great guy and like they may choose yeah. something different too. You know, like yeah. it's, it, it works well here. These are three great characters we all like. Yeah. So we got Lorelai coming back to the house. She calls Max, gets his answering machine, and she's just about to presumably, I guess, leave a message when Rory enters. And there's this moment where I like I didn't realize how dramatic this was. Lorelai looks up at Rory and can tell that something's really wrong. She asks her, you know, what happened? And Rory says, you know, we just broke up. And Lorelai goes over to comfort her and the episode ends. Kind of a cliffhanger. Right, it is. And then if you're watching on Netflix, it's impossible not to watch the next one, which is called The Breakup Part 2, as if this should be called The Breakup Part 1, and really <laughs> emphasizes like, how much they kind of are intertwined. I want to ask a question. I never thought about this until we just spoke, but do you think that Lorelai calls Max because her talk with Luke and the idea that you spend a lot of time debating things, but sometimes it's time to just jump in is like what spurs her to do that? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I hadn't yeah, thought that, about that either. I think that that is what you're supposed to get from it. Yeah. Suddenly, yeah. Obviously, we haven't realized it until like the 30th time we've seen the show. <laughs> but I like that it's subtle. It works. Yeah. Oh, man. We talked before we started recording about how we weren't sure we were going to do segments this week because there was everything was sort of intertwined. And I think the only segment I could think of before we rate the episode would be Kill More Girls, which is who is the more likely serial killer, Chase or Dean? <laughs> they both have their strengths. Dean already has a really strong kill spot picked out. That junker is perfect. So that, that gives yep. him an end. But I think Chase has the <laughs> psycho magic to really make it happen. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Man, this, this episode is one of my very favorites. It's so emotionally heavy though. And every time I do talk about my feelings about Dean, I think it is coming from a personal place of some, you know, past trauma or whatever. Like I get more worked up than I expect. Same. Um, I do too. I'm like, oh, I don't want to give this episode a good grade because I just hate that scene so much. But I think the episode itself is very good. But I think I will have to give it a nine. Yeah. I mean, I was going to give it a 10. I do think I am going to give it a nine five just because of my somewhat conflicted feelings about how this situation is handled. I love the whole vibe of this episode. I love it so much. And it's just that very end scene is just really yeah. it's hard to watch. <laughs> hard to watch. I still need to make like a hard to watch graphic for us. It's coming. I just have to get around to it. <laughs> it is truly Tracy Jordan's hard to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say we have a bit of a cheerier episode but like I mean it is <laughs> it's okay no it it, uh, it does not contain any difficult to watch Dean scenes how about that yeah 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 no I love the next episode, I love I love the next it. episode. it's one of my favorites I love it it's really really good yes for sure but my last note is we passed 2500 downloads oh we my God. I know. We have a special surprise for you in the next couple of weeks of another podcast we're going to be featured on and the announcement of a guest on our podcast, but we will not make it yet because I still have to finalize some dates. <laughs> so stay tuned for some exciting news we'll announce on the Instagram and our Twitter. Yay. I'm glad we're ending on a positive note. This is a great episode. I feel like it got so dark so fast. Yes, and we had a lot of fun recording it and I think we had some really good insights. Oh, and, and don't forget to follow us on our social media. We are at Fully Puffed Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Yay. All right. Well, thank you.
Thank you everybody for tuning in. Yay.